What is nano step? Nano <laughs> Nano what? <laughs> Maybe that's what you should start with. Nano what? <laughs> nano what? I'm Yadira Gamindo for N Equals One, a podcast about science and discovery at UC San Diego. And I'm Heather Bushman. In each episode, we bring you the story of one project, one discovery, or one scientist. Today on N Equals One, we're talking about nanomedicine, a small technology with big goals. So Heather, what is nanomedicine? To me, it sounds something vaguely like science fiction. It does, I know. It, to me, it sounds like something that Peter Parker would get in Spider-Man or, or some one of these vague science sounding terms they would throw around in a TV show. But if you just break it down, nano means very small on the nano scale, nanometers, and then medicine. So using very small nanoparticles to deliver medicine. And in some cases, uh, researchers are using nanoparticles to as a delivery mechanism for diagnostic materials, like to light up a certain part of the body, or the payload a nanoparticle is carrying could be some sort of therapeutic. All right, so we're not talking about tiny little pills here. We're talking about something much bigger than that. What's the advantage of nanomedicine over taking a pill or vaccinations? Well, those approaches to therapies or preventative measures are, of course, always going to be important. To learn more about nanomedicine, I spoke with Ada Almateri, who's a professor and director of the Center for Nanomedicine at the Skag School of Pharmacy and Pharmaceutical Sciences at UC San Diego. Ada says that we need nanomedicine because it helps overcome one of the biggest problems facing healthcare today. I think people. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and their behavior is, is the biggest healthcare challenge. Patient adherence or patient compliance, sometimes it's called taking your medicine at the right time, the right dose. It's a big challenge. So, with nanomedicine, Ada's approach is that you could just go to the doctor, say, once a year and just get this injection of whatever nanoparticles it is that you need, and you can just forget about it. She actually compares this approach to auto-paying your bills. You get to just set it up and then never think about it again. Well, I know I'd be really, really thankful to not have to take a pill every day or even once a month because my brain, not gonna remember this. So what is Ada's lab doing when it comes to, nano, to advancing nanomedicine? In their approach to nanomedicine, they wanna make targeted therapeutics so delivering a medicine to exactly the part of the body where it's needed. Now, in some approaches to nanomedicine, researchers take what Ada calls a lock and key method. So a nanoparticle, say a little picture, a little ball carrying the medicine you need enters your bloodstream. In this lock and key approach, it's going directly to a certain cell type Right, so say a tumor cell. Say tumor cells have specific molecules on their surface that only they have and healthy cells don't have. So a nanoparticle could be constructed so that it specifically is binding that tumor-specific molecule. And so that would be kind of a targeted nanomedicine approach. 
some people compare that to smart bombs. These nanoparticles going in and they're just homing in on exactly where they're needed. But Ada's lab is actually taking a different sort of approach. We are interested in creating smart drug delivery systems that deliver the therapeutic when uh, the disease conditions flare up and when the disease conditions subside, the release subsides. And uh, in that, the patient doesn't have to really take the medicine or th even think about it. Um, that's our ultimate goal and just have it administered by your healthcare provider seeing your annual checkup and then it just stays and releases when your, your condition flares up. How do these nanoparticles know when disease is flaring up and when they should suddenly activate? So nanoparticles go in and they can diffuse throughout the body, but they're only activated, they're only start breaking down and releasing what's inside when exposed to a certain condition. For example, inflammation. Here's how Ada puts it. It was just starting to emerge maybe more than 10 years ago that inflammation underlies cardiovascular disease, cancer, underlies just a large number of all kinds of neurodegenerative diseases, and yet there wasn't a system that responded to uh, flare-ups of inflammation or chronic inflammation. And when you look back at when we started looking into the chemistry of inflammation, it was clear that there was oxidative stress, so a buildup of reactive oxygen species and a buildup of metabolic byproducts that made the environment slightly oxidative and slightly acidic. And so we thought, okay, we can make materials that will rapidly degrade if, if you reach that threshold, where you go from neutral to oxidative and, and acidic. We developed the first materials that are able to degrade uh, in those in physiologically relevant inflammatory conditions. And then from there, we developed diagnostics that don't have a signal unless there's flare-ups of inflammation based on these materials. And then we developed therapeutic releasing systems based on these materials again. And yeah, so it's been maybe, mm, the first study was published in 2010, 2011, and the first application started 2012, 2013. And we continue to, to translate these to commercial and clinical applications. Mm -hmm. So you talked about attacking cancer using this nanoparticle approach. Are there other examples that you can give of how this might be used therapeutically? Yeah, in one example, Ada's lab is collaborating with eye disease experts over in our Shiley Eye Institute. There, they're specifically looking at age-related macular degeneration. I'll let Ada explain. And we use novel therapeutics like uh, VEGF trap that could really benefit from a drug delivery system so that the patient isn't required to go, say, once a month to get an injection in the eye because the, the drug delivery system doesn't last that long. So that's even worse than just having to take a pill every day. You certainly don't want to do that if you can help it. So ours will last up to a year and will release as a function of flare-ups of inflammation in the eye. Mm that are associated with flare-ups of the disease age-related macular degeneration. So these nanoparticles are still going to need to be injected into the, the body. You're not going to just ingest them through your mouth. Right. I mean, and maybe in some approaches it 
could be ingestible. Um, there are other researchers working on ingestible forms of nanoparticles. So our particles, we almost don't care where they go as long as they don't release in that environment. It's all about the rate of release. When it's so insignificant in all other healthy tissue, we can count it as not even being there. Uh, it's silent. So whether your nanoparticles are swallowed or injected, targeted or diffused, what are they made of? Nanoparticles can be made out of all sorts of things. In Ada's case, they're working with different chemical polymers sort of woven together. Typically they're made out of soft matter, polymers, plastics, but not the way you think of plastics. Not plastics like your plastic shopping bag is made out of. Uh, we're, we as human beings are made out of soft matter generally, except for our bone. And so you can think of it that way, it's soft matter. But in other cases, there are researchers here at UC San Diego and elsewhere who are using a stable core, but then maybe coating that nanoparticle with a human-like disguise. So in one example, researchers are coating particles with what looks like platelets, and that's a type of blood cell, of human blood cell, and so that nanoparticles can sort of make their way around the body and not look like a foreign object. What Ada tells me is that they are experimenting with all sorts of different things and different ways to build the nanoparticles and then different ways to trigger their breakdown. And she's confident that one of these days, the perfect combination of the nanoparticle material and the breakdown method will just completely align. And, and maybe that's a, a material that hasn't even been invented yet, but I think that's part of what excites her in her lab. That's really super fun. To create new chemistry and new materials is totally fun. Adding knowledge and, and tools and capability to, to our earth uh, and our society. Anytime that you're engineering something, there's a potential for things to go a little haywire. So how are they making sure that these nanoparticles don't get out of control in the body? Yeah, so this gets to some of the activation methods. So when you think about a typical cancer therapy, for example, you think about maybe chemotherapy and how we're just sort of blasting the body, or, or radiation therapy, blasting the body with these substances that are toxic to cells, and especially to cells that divide rapidly, like in a tumor. The problem is you get a lot of collateral damage in your healthy cells, and that leads to a lot of the side effects that you get from something like chemotherapy. So hair loss and nausea is because those healthy cells are also getting killed off by the therapy. But one of the advantages of nanomedicine is that it's a smart technology. They're only reaching certain parts of the body, or in Ada's case, they're only activated in certain parts of the body where they're actually needed and not elsewhere. So she's also experimenting with different ways to trigger that activation. In some cases, like I mentioned, it's different molecules that are produced only in inflammation. In other cases, Ada's also experimenting with simple light. We're really keen on light activation because uh, light offers you sort of a remote control in 3D in time and in space. Um, and we've developed many exciting technologies in that area. That's a very fundamental area because 
you know, light typically uh, hits a surface. So photochemistry typically is at the surface. And what we've been doing is making it get deeper into a, 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 a body. Right. It could be a human body, it could be anything really, but beneath the surface. Right, because you've got the nanoparticles inside, right? But presumably you're talking about hitting from light from outside the body, right? right? And so there's a lot of exciting, for me that's a scientifically fundamentally exciting area mm -hmm. because there are a lot of challenges, but we see so many ways to build on this and make it a reality. And what's fun about that area is that we are building materials that are very sensitive to light because one thing people don't understand is that when you shine light on an object, most of these light packets are being absorbed by the surface, but some are making it into the depth of the material. But it's a very low percentage and you don't actually, your eyes don't see it. But if you had a material that was really, really sensitive to those packets that make it, then you can enable control of materials at that depth. So it sounds like we still have a ways to go to get this just right, and I'm assuming also depending on what condition we're trying to treat, but what's next for, for nanomedicine? Am I gonna go to the doctor and find out that they're gonna start offering this to me tomorrow? Definitely not tomorrow. You're right, it is a long way off. Some of these experiments I mentioned, Ada and others are testing in uh, mouse models, for example. Um, they've been getting some great results with the macular degeneration example that I mentioned in delivering therapeutics there. But like anything, it takes years to get something into clinical trials and through clinical trials, approved by the FDA, and then available on the pharmacy shelf. I think that we are, we've already are in deep into discussions with one particular uh, pharmaceutical company on developing um, these for the eye. And they have a very nice drug that, that this would be you know, the perfect marriage for. I hope that that would, you know, come to fruition. And it's, basically I'm, I'm saying it's the closest that I see of all the different systems that we are currently developing. So in five years, I hope that it'll be on the market, yeah. While hopeful for this one nanomedicine approach to treating macular degeneration, Ada is also realistic about how young the field is and how much work it takes to get a new therapy into the clinic. You know, in, in, in the pharmaceutical industry, for every like 6,000 products that they put out into the market, you know this, one will make it. On average, it's such a small percent actually is, is a product that does well and people use and it becomes. So we're used to this in research that um, you've got to try 100 things for one to work or 1,000 things for one to work. And Nanomedicine is a relatively uh, young and underexplored area, even though it sounds like, you now we talk about it and it sounds old, but not really. I don't like to hear people that just want the next new thing. You, it takes, a, a, I was just having a conversation with someone in the pharmaceutical industry and, and they were saying it's just shots at the goal, you know? It just is statistical almost sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows in five, 10 years what new cancer and other therapies will look like. Well, I know that I'm certainly looking forward to one less pillbox in my medicine cabinet and one less time to go to the pharmacy. <laughs> Me too. Well, that was a very informative episode of N equals one. Thanks so much, Heather, for bringing this to my attention. Thanks, Yadira.